We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode 481 of the Pack-A-Day podcast. I am your host, Andy Herman. I am a writer and editor for Packer Report. You can follow me on Twitter at NFL. I am really geeked up and excited about today's episode. I'm going to do a little bit of a deep dive into my grades so far. If you're not familiar, uh, I grade every single player on every single play throughout the course of the season, Uh, and I'm going to take a really deep dive today into some of the grades, who's doing well, who's not doing so well. I'm going to kind of compare them to a season ago, uh, see which positions have really made some huge improvements, and uh, just a lot of neat stuff that I kind of had the opportunity to dig into a little bit over the week. So going to discuss that a lot uh, this week on the show. I don't always get a chance to do that during the season. Uh, the big reason is because I'm usually doing the the Monday you know podcast, and uh, usually that's the day after the game, or or if it's a Monday night game, uh, you know I'm usually doing a preview of the game, but uh, you know the grades aren't done at that point, so usually I don't get a chance to dig in uh, too much to the grades. And if I would go over uh, the grades from a week before, you know the day after they just had a game, it certainly wouldn't make a ton of sense. So unfortunately, on the podcast here, I don't usually get to dig into my grades a ton, but I'm excited to be able to do so today and kind of do so in great detail. 
Before I jump into that, I do want to start off with some results uh, around the NFL this week. thought there were some interesting outcomes. Of course, uh, you had the Vikings and the 49ers playing basically uh, what I felt like was almost the exact same game this week. Uh, Vikings beat the Broncos, uh, the 49ers beat the Cardinals, uh, and both of them had you know some pretty impressive comebacks by uh, both of the teams that, of course, Packer fans, I think, wanted to lose in those two games. The Vikings were down 20 to nothing to the Broncos at one point. Uh, the 49ers were down 16 to nothing to the Cardinals, and really it should have been 17 nothing had Zane Gonzalez converted on the extra point. But uh, Vikings scored 20 unanswered in the fourth quarter to win their game 27 to 23. Uh, 49ers outscored the Cardinals in the fourth 19 to 7 in the fourth quarter uh, to win 36 to 26. That was actually much closer uh, than what that 10 point deficit uh, would seem. Uh, they got a touchdown on the very last play on one of the lateral the ball all over the field type of plays. Uh, And other than that, it really came down to a couple plays here or there. And the Cardinals had a three point lead in that game uh, very, very late in the process. So uh, this was a a disappointing outcome, of course, in both of those games. I'm sure uh, Green Bay wouldn't have minded the Vikings and the 49ers losing those two games, but uh, nice uh, job to both the Vikings and the 49ers for coming away with wins uh, in games that they very easily could could have lost. Um, I will say that both were very entertaining and came down to the wire. Uh, certainly, if you were looking for uh, you know teams to cheer against, you had that in, in the 49ers and the Vikings, and uh, you kind of got to champion the Broncos and the Cardinals, and you kind of got to sit uh, in uh, the, the Broncos and the Cardinals fans' shoes for, for one day to see how kind of that felt. And as we saw, it didn't feel super great. Uh, both of those teams should have won that, you know, won their specific games. And uh, I think had they both played the fourth quarter a little bit better, especially the Broncos, I mean, uh, you just can't get outscored 20 to nothing in one quarter uh, in order to lose a game. And I thought that was a, an incredibly disappointing performance for a team that had nothing to lose. I mean, continue to be aggressive in that situation. Instead, they they went really into a shell uh, and still had an opportunity to win it. You know, game on the line, last play, they threw it to Noah Fant, who, you know, probably had offensive pass interference on the play, which then led to maybe a little bit of a grab on the Vikings. I didn't really uh, see that uh, a penalty should have been called there. I know some people were saying that uh, a penalty should have been called on the Vikings. Uh, I thought uh, Fant got you know a, a pretty decent push off at the top of the route. So if anything, I thought it kind of evened out. Either way, uh, the Vikings you know kind of ultimately did their job, got away with a win, and uh, they're going to be very happy certainly going into a bye week that they were able to do so uh, rather than really you know losing a, a game that they shouldn't have to the Broncos at home. Uh, but again, both entertaining games. And, and as a fan, it was uh, good to kind of see two games that, that came down to the wire. And again, we had, as Packer fans, two teams to, to really root against. And, and that, I guess that kind of made it an enjoyable day, even if the results weren't uh, what they were hoped to be. Uh, Minnesota again goes into their bye uh, this coming week, whereas the 49ers will, of course, host those Green Bay Packers. Uh, We're going to break down that throughout the course of this week. I'm sure uh, Ross and Jacob will get started on that tomorrow, and then we'll continue to break it down as we always do throughout the course of the week. But I'm not going to get into that game too much today. Uh, We did find out that the the 49ers are going to be three-point favorites going into that game. Uh, So that'll be something to keep an eye on as the the week goes on. That basically means that uh, the, the sports line think that the Packers and 49ers are evenly matched. Usually the the home team gets a three-point cushion, so uh, the 49ers open with that three-point spread and uh, will be the favorites as Green Bay travels to San Francisco this week. 
Uh, some other notes around the league, the Lions lost to the Cowboys. Uh, Bears are currently losing 10-7 to to the Rams as I record this right now. We're just about to the end of the third quarter, uh, so that'll be interesting to see what kind of comes of that game. Um, I, I think you could actually make an argument that it's probably better that the Bears win this game. Uh, a Bears win would uh, put the, the Rams at 5-5 five and five and uh, would put no teams at 6-4, and four, which would really give the Packers a three-game cushion uh, in that final NFC wildcard spot. I know that we're at the point in the season where, you know, Packer fans don't necessarily want to discuss uh, wildcard spots or not making the playoffs, but I always like to take a look and, and just see, you know, as a worst case scenario, uh, if, if the Bears could somehow come away with a win in this game, uh, again, Green Bay would have a three game lead on, uh, you know, I think it's three or four different teams that would sit at five and five, including the Bears and the Rams. And I think the, the Eagles are on that list as well. So uh, they would have a, a nice little uh, cushion there. And uh, that would be a nice, you know, nice thing to have as a worst case scenario. Uh, You know, hopefully you don't go three and three through the remainder of the season. uh, And and even if you did, you would still have, you know, pretty much almost a guaranteed lock to get into the playoffs, even with a 500 record the rest of the way. But uh, certainly that's not what we're hoping for. Certainly we're hoping for uh, a number one seed starting with a win over the 49ers. But if you're looking at uh, you know who it's better to win this game, and of course, as you're listening to this, you know who won this game, but uh, as I'm watching this right now, I think it's probably a little bit better uh, that the Bears win, although that being said, you certainly never want to see uh, the Bears win and certainly won't be too dejected if the Rams do in fact beat the Bears in this one. So uh, you know much more than I know as you're listening to this and as I'm recording this, but uh, certainly a, a 10-7 entertaining game as we start the fourth quarter here. Uh, the Ravens stomped all over the Texans, what was supposed to be the game of the week. Really fun team right now, the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, I think they're playing some of the best football uh, in the NFL at the moment. Of course, beat up on the Patriots last week and then uh, beat up on the Texans this week. They are just a, a team that you do not want to see, especially in the regular season. I mean, it's basically like, you know, you're, you're kind of facing a lot of the same concepts all season long across the NFL. And then you face the Ravens and you face a total different set of circumstances. Uh, an explosive player in Lamar Jackson. Uh, they do a, a variety of different things with that pistol type offense. And it's uh, it's not an easy thing to game plan for when you only have one week to do so. So uh, I think that that is a, a team that is going to be tough to beat. It'll be interesting come playoff time if uh, teams, you know, maybe given a little bit more time or a little bit, you know, more effort and energy to, to prepare uh, in those sort of scenarios, if they can shut down Lamar Jackson in that offense. But uh, man, they are a very fun team at the moment, and and it could be easily argued that they are the team to beat in the AFC right now. They absolutely squashed the Texans today. And then speaking of the the Patriots, uh, they beat the the Philadelphia Eagles this week. Uh, they used one of their uh, patented double passes using Julian Edelman uh, to get a touchdown to Philip Dorsett. Uh, they win seventeen to ten, I think was the the final score in that one. Uh, not a pretty game by any you know stretch of the imagination, but uh, the Patriots get a win against the Eagles uh, again, putting the Eagles to five and five. So if you're looking again at the Packers getting in, uh, no matter what, uh, the Eagles losing, especially knowing that the Eagles have that tie against the Packers is probably a good thing. I also think the the Eagles have a higher ceiling than the Cowboys. So 
If the Eagles were to get on a roll and start playing really good football, I think that has the opportunity to be a really good team, even though they haven't been so far this season. So I think the Cowboys being the the team that would potentially get in rather than the Eagles isn't necessarily a bad thing either. So uh, Patriots beating the Eagles, probably not the worst case scenario. The big thing I wanted to discuss with that game, uh, Field Yates uh, tweeted out, and I thought this was insanely interesting, the active number of consecutive winning seasons, including 2019 so far, there are a bunch of teams that have no consecutive winning seasons. Of course, the Packers are on that list at the moment as well. A win against the 49ers would get them in a in the winning season category, but the Cardinals, Falcons, Panthers, Bills, Bengals, Browns, Broncos, Lions, Packers, Jaguars, Dolphins, Giants, Jets, Raiders, Buccaneers, and Redskins have no consecutive winning seasons. The Bears, Texans, Colts, and 49ers have one season of consecutive winning football. The Ravens, Chargers, Rams, Vikings, Saints, Eagles all have two consecutive winning seasons. The Cowboys and Titans have three consecutive winning seasons. No teams have four consecutive uh, winning seasons. The Steelers are at five. The Chiefs are at six. The Seahawks are at seven. No teams, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, or 18 seasons, the Patriots clinched their 19th consecutive season with a winning record with their win against the Eagles today. The next highest team again was the Seahawks with seven consecutive seasons. The Patriots at 19. That is absolutely insane. Uh, They continue to churn out winning football teams year after year, of course, for 19 seasons, as I just mentioned. But uh, what an incredible accomplishment for that franchise. I know they're kind of the evil empire. I know a lot of people don't enjoy uh, cheering for them. I am not a a person that is cheering for the Patriots. I do enjoy uh, the brand of football that they play. I think if you put yourself in a a fan's shoes, a team that can win in a variety of different ways, that's found uh, ways to win as a power running team as far back as uh, some of those early Belichick years. Uh, They've been a a finesse team. They've been the you know a a team that's won with you know getting the ball down the field to Randy Moss. They've uh, used a a lot of different amazing slot receivers and Edelman and in Welker and in Amendola throughout the years. Uh, they've, they've had strong defensive teams. They continue to kind of reinvent themselves every year, and I respect the hell out of the franchise. There's some things uh, certainly not so much a fan of, uh, you know, certainly some of the Robert Kraft stories, some of the, the Belichick stuff, some of the, the Spygate. I get all those, and I'm not saying that you should enjoy the Patriots or cheer for the Patriots, uh, and I'm certainly not in that camp either, uh, but I certainly respect on the football field how they go about their business, how they play week in and week out, how Bill Belichick coaches that team from a game day standpoint. Uh, I respect everything about it and uh, their accomplishments certainly speak for themselves. 19 consecutive winning seasons is again, absolutely crazy. As we sit today looking at the NFC playoff picture, the 49ers sit with the one seed, the Packers are on the two line, the Saints at three, the Cowboys at four, the Seahawks at five, and the Vikings at six. So uh, the Vikings would go to New Orleans to face the Saints, the Seahawks would go to Dallas to face the Cowboys. Not a lot of uh, friendly faces in that group. I know uh, I don't think Packer fans are too fond of the Cowboys, Seahawks, or Vikings franchises, So, uh, and I don't think they necessarily want to 
to see the Saints move on either. So uh, probably not games that would be super entertaining from a fan standpoint, but uh, certainly would be something that would be great if the Packers could finish and get that by uh, going into the playoffs. I think that's going to be something that's really important for them. And as we go into this week in the Packers and 49ers battle for potentially that number one seed in the playoffs, you look at that home field advantage, and I just think that it is going to be so incredibly important for the Packers. And, uh, you know, of course, home field advantage is important. And of course, Green Bay is going to want to play in the cold, all those sorts of things. I, I think those things go without saying. But why I think this is maybe a little bit more important for Green Bay this year is because of how road heavy their final part of the schedule is. So they have six games remaining. Four of those six games will be on the road. They're going to go all the way West Coast uh, to play the 49ers, then all the way East Coast to play the Giants. They go back-to-back home games, and then they have two very light travel away games uh, with Minnesota and Detroit, uh, just kind of a hop, skip, and a jump away. So those aren't major travel issues. But four of the six on the road to end the season, if they got a wild card, likely they would have to go away, away, away in order to achieve what their goal would be, which is, of course, get to the Super Bowl. And that would be a ton of travel and a ton of road games on their path to the Super Bowl. It would go, again, away game, away game, home, home, away game, away game, away game, away game, away game in order to get to the Super Bowl, which, oh, by the way, is also you know traveling for. So I just don't know that with that many road games to end the season and, and all that travel piling up, I don't think that that's a, a recipe for success come playoff time, especially when you consider that those road games could you know consist of some significant travel as well, uh, potentially going out west to the 49ers, out west to the Seahawks. Uh, those are certainly things that would be in play. Going to New Orleans, uh, there are some some places that they definitely don't want to play. They're not going to want to play in Minnesota. So the, the road games and the travel in a stacked NFC is not going to be easy. And I think even too, take, take the travel away, there are six fantastic teams. And I guess maybe I'm not ready to put the Cowboys in the the fantastic category right yet right yet, but uh the the 49ers, the Packers, the Saints, the Seahawks and the Vikings are all really really good football teams. And if you only have to beat two of them instead of having to beat three, and even if the Cowboys are on that list, that's not a gimme anyway in any way shape or form. So, uh you do not want to have to face three of those teams in order to get to the Super Bowl. I really do believe uh that the path is going to be likely a team that gets one of those first week buys. I do not think you're going to see a team that goes on the road for three weeks and uh, and picks up a a path to the Super Bowl. I just do not see that happening. Maybe one of the home uh, wildcard teams could do it, but I just think that that is, is uh, a gauntlet that is uh, not the, the right path and the right way to take if you really have aspirations of getting to the Super Bowl. So that makes these last six games so incredibly important and maybe none of them uh, quite as important as, as the 49ers. And then that, that Vikings game in a few weeks is going to be uh, an epic showdown that could potentially reshape the NFC North race as well. So some really big games upcoming, starting with the 49ers this week. All right, with that, I do want to transition over to my grading the pack uh, portion of this article. So if you are not familiar with what I kind of do week in and week out as I go through the season, this is my third season doing it now. 
what I do is very kind of pro football focus style. I grade every single player on every single play throughout the entire course of the season and every week, etc. And then I get totals, of course, through the week. I get totals through the season and I can kind of compare it to a variety of different things. I use a, a basic uh, standard kind of scoring system that is a, a grading every player on every play anywhere from a negative 2.0 to a positive 2.0. Um, th- that's kind of the basics of the system. And uh, I use a little bit of a, a different model within that. And I'm not going to get in too much of the minutia of how I grade uh, every single play. Know that it's it's based on uh, how they match up really one-on-one on that specific play uh, is the majority of it. I also use some of the, the scouting stuff that I've learned uh, of how they kind of attack the play. You know, a lot of people will say, well, you don't know what the play call was. How can you grade the play? And, and that's not the aspect that I'm necessarily grading. Sometimes it's easy to tell and you can grade that aspect of it. I'm more grading, all right, it's David Bakhtiari versus Khalil Mack one-on-one. How did David Bakhtiari do on that specific play? All right, it's a it's a jump ball between Allen Robinson and Jair Alexander. It's one-on-one on the outside. Trubisky throws the pass. You know, how does Jair Alexander grade on that specific play when, when it's going up and, and trying to, to break up that pass and so on and so forth? So, Again, I'm going in on every single play and and grading that. And to give you a window into what that means every single week, uh, the All-22 usually comes out on Monday night. It's been a little bit finicky this year as to what time that comes out. There's been some games where it's been there right around 7, 8 p.m. Sometimes it hasn't come out at all on Monday night, um, which has been frustrating. But usually it's there somewhere around 9 to 10 p.m. at the latest. I usually am able to get a handful of of grades uh, done on Monday night. Um, and then I'm working all night Tuesday night, usually till about, I usually start at about uh, 8.30-ish p.m. Uh, and I work until about one in the morning to grade uh, all of the either offense or defensive plays. Um, I then finish those up, whatever I started with, on about Wednesday, write the article usually on Wednesday night for Thursday to post, then start with the the Thursday grades all through Thursday night, and then usually all through Friday night. Every once in a while, I can finish the grades and the article by Thursday night, but usually that takes me uh, through Friday night, and then I, I post another article, which is kind of a free version of it. But long story short, this takes me a lot of times Monday night, all night Tuesday, all night Wednesday, all night Thursday, and some of Friday night as well uh, to go through this. It is about a 20-hour-ish process every single week to grade every play and then to write the articles, both an offense and a defense, and then kind of a a little bit of a summary article as well. So about 20 to 25-ish hours, I would say, on a week-by-week basis uh, that just goes into this specific process in and of itself. And a couple of things that I'll say again before jumping into the grades, uh, I'm not perfect uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I make mistakes. I do think that when you watch so much of it and in such great detail, you're going to have a feel for it no matter what. And I may not know the play. I may have made a mistake on giving a player a grade in the negative when maybe it should have been in the positive. Uh, that that certainly I'm sure has happened through the course of the years and, and vice versa. But I, if there's any question usually in my mind, um, I'm usually not grading it or I'm leaving a, a 
you know, room for error, if you will. I'm not grading it as heavily because I know that there's an opportunity for error in the grading. So what that all comes down to is when you get to the end and you get to the end of the season and you've watched that many plays, no matter what, I don't care what your level of football knowledge is, you're going to have a really good feel for who's playing well and who's not playing well. It, it's just the, the the basic simple fact of if you're watching that many hours of, of football and if you have any sort of educated eye towards looking at it, which I have gone and I've taken classes for, uh, you're going to be able to glean a lot from putting that time and effort and energy into it. And I give anyone and everyone that does grading a ton of credit. And I love watching, uh, you know, pro football focus grades. I actually usually don't uh, watch the the Packers grades until about the end of the season um, because I don't want to be skewed, uh, to be quite honest. Every once in a while, I'll see a grade uh, here or there, but I do not go out looking for for Packer grades because, again, I want to keep my own eye on it, and I I don't really want to be influenced. But I love looking at the the pro football focus grades, and I think overall they do a really really solid job. Usually, uh, them and I are are pretty much on the same page with uh, a small degree of difference. Usually, there's a handful of players that we disagree on pretty vehemently. Uh, Haha Clinton-Dix has been one of those in the past where they've had as one of their top safeties and one of my lowest graded Packers um, over the course of the last couple of years. So that's been, you know, a uh, uh, one player that we haven't agreed on, but overall, usually we're kind of on the same page. Bob McGinn does a nice job grading the articles. Um, and there's a couple other ones that you'll see out there as well. As far as I know though, and I, maybe I'm wrong on this. I do not believe that there is anybody out there that goes in as one person and grades every single player on every single play using all 22 tape and is the same person consistently week in and week out uh, for now three plus seasons uh, as we're in this season right now. So um, it's not to take away from anyone else. Pro Football Focus puts their initial grades out um, and now keeps them. As far as I know, they are not using the all 22. They are using the the game footage only, which has serious uh, issues and able to see the, the corner and the safety and the receiver play down the field. And you don't necessarily get exactly what's going on in the trenches either. So you have to, you have to know that kind of going into it. Um, Bob McGinn, uh, again, a ton of respect uh, overall for, for Bob and, and what he does. Um, but usually the, those grades are, are done by Tuesday. Now, he has uh, he, he doesn't have uh, anything else going on during the day. I have a day job. So is it theoretically possible that he spent you know the, the 20 past hours going through and, and combing through those grades you know play by play? Probably not. And again, it's not to discount or discredit uh, what he's looking at and what he's seeing. Again, I, I enjoy going out there and reviewing the grades as well uh, that he puts out, but it's I, I can promise you it's not to the same detail, the same time and effort and energy uh, that I'm putting into it each week. And, and that kind of goes for, for anyone else that's putting the grades out there as well. This is not to toot my horn and to say mine are better. They might not be. You know, you may get a a better value from from other places. You might agree with other grades that you see other places, and that's totally fine. Grades are always going to have some level of subjectivity, and that's why I think it's really good. And what I really enjoy doing is going out there and looking at pro football focuses, and looking at my grades, and looking at McGinn's grades, and and seeing what the the differences you know are. And a lot of times, if, if all three of us are on the same page, uh, you can really get a, a really good understanding of, okay, this player's probably playing really good, or this player's 
probably playing not so good. And there's always going to be some level of of variance there and and some level of disagreement when you have that level of subjectivity. Uh, But overall, um, I I put a ton of time, effort, and energy, and I'm I'm really proud uh, of the end result each, each year that goes into it. And sometimes, you know, kind of the proof is in the pudding. Uh, The last thing to to kind of toot my horn a little bit here is that over the course of the last two years, not including this year, but there were 26 players that I had low grades on. Of those 26, 22 are no longer with the team. So 22 of those 26 players are no longer with the team. So uh, if you think that it is just happenstance, I'm just putting grades out there willy-nilly or that they maybe, you know, don't mean much. The players that I am grading lowly through the course of the last two years have not stuck with the team. The four that still are, I'm trying to remember this off the top of my head, Jimmy Graham, Lucas Patrick, Josh Jackson, and Montrevious Adams, if I remember correctly. Adams and Jackson had pretty much no chance of being cut because of their rookie uh, or their you know draft status on the team, second and third round picks, still very young, still very talented. Jimmy Graham, they basically were pot committed to uh, with the contract that he had. And Lucas Patrick was a rotational offensive lineman. There was no need to get rid of him. And I thought he actually showed improvement through this offseason. So those were the four outliers. The other 22 players that I had graded lowly all no longer with the franchise. So there is value here in some of the stuff that I'm doing. Um, And now without further ado, I'm going to go kind of over some of those grades and who's grading well and who's not grading so well through the course of the season so far. So let's start with my top five players on defense uh, so far through 10 weeks on the season. I'm going to start with number five, Kenny Clark with a plus 3.25 grade. Number four, Jair Alexander with a plus 4.90. Number three, Adrian Amos with a plus 5.25. Preston Smith came in at number two with a plus 8.25. And Zadarius Smith, number one, with an incredible plus 10.5 grade. And he has just been on absolute fire as of late, which I'll go over in just a moment as well. But you look at the big story here. Clark and Alexander returning from a season ago, but numbers one, two, and three. Sidarius Smith, Preston Smith, Adrian Amos. Kudos to you, Brian Gutekunst. You completely remade this defense in basically a day. I know it took longer than that on the back end, but within the matter of about two and a half hours on a Tuesday morning, three tweets from Ian Rappaport stating that the Packers signed Zadarius Smith, then Adrian Amos, then Preston Smith. All in one morning, they were announced, and just what an absolute transformation. I know the defense hasn't exactly been on fire as of late, but try imagining it all of a sudden without Zadarius and Preston and Adrian Amos, and it's it's tough almost to fathom. Those three have been so incredibly good, and I just think that they deserve so much credit for attacking those positions and going out and, and really hitting three home runs in free agency. That doesn't always happen, and I think they deserve a ton of credit for identifying the right players getting them in. And not only have those three made an impact on the field, but of course, Zadarius and Preston off the field with their leadership in the locker room. Adrian Amos has been a leader in the secondary. Uh, It has just been a massive upswing for that defense by getting those three players. And I do still think that you are going to see this defense performing at a higher level, hopefully coming out of the bye week and starting with the 49ers. But it is incredible to think that the three highest graded players so far in defense all came on the same day in free agency. So kudos to Brian Gutekunst. The bottom three uh, lowest rated players on defense, uh, Dean Lowry was the, the third lowest with a negative 1.75. 
Darnell Savage, the second lowest with a negative 2.20. And Blake Martinez was the lowest at a negative 4.35. Now, the big thing I want to point out here, especially with Dean Lowry, I mean, anything, you know, negative two or above is is not that bad. You know, it's not ideal. It's not great, of course. Uh, but, you know, a negative 2.5 or worse on the season is when you start getting into those those 26 players of which 22 of, you know, which are no longer on the roster. That's negative 2.5 or below. So a negative 1.75, a negative 2.2, you're close enough to the, the middle range and you're, you're a couple good games away from really getting that back to even and, and being on the right side of things. So not super concerning. And even Blake Martinez, negative 4.35, not a brutal grade uh, at all. It's not good. And again, he's the lowest rated player on defense, but he still did some really good things through the first three weeks, actually had a positive grade uh, through the first five weeks of the season. But as of late, uh, struggling, certainly I think his injury is playing a part in that. And and Brian Gutekunst, we talked about him with the big three free agent signings. Well, he has a really big decision to make with, Dar- or, excuse me, with Blake Martinez uh, this coming off season as a free agent. And it's an interesting preposition, you know, because he's by far still their best inside linebacker. And I, I don't care if, if Burks and, and Goodson have a little bit better grades at this point. Uh, I do believe that Blake Martinez, especially with his leadership, him calling the plays, uh, I do think that he is a uh, the best of the linebackers. But you cannot break the bank uh, for the level of play that you're getting from Blake Martinez. And uh this isn't to say that Martinez is bad. I think that Green Bay is better with him on the team. I think if he's your 10th or 11th best defender, you're in a really good spot, but uh, he is not a playmaker. Uh, He is uh, more an average middle of the road-ish inside linebacker who has his limitations, and you can win with that, but you don't want to break the bank on that. And I think uh, ideally you would like to see him improve, get back to more of a neutral type player at, at minimum. Uh, but it, it hasn't been a great last few weeks for Blake Martinez to say the least. And that's really what has him at the bottom of the list and uh, the lowest rated player on defense so far this season. Let's move to the offensive side. My top five offensive players so far. Number five, Devontae Adams with a plus 4.05. Even in limited action, uh, he is still graded well in the positive. That Philadelphia Eagles game before he got hurt was a, a huge game for him. Uh, hasn't really played, you know, quite at, uh, you know, his top level, even when he's been in. Uh, he hasn't had a touchdown yet, uh, but you could see this past week that he was right on track. That Eagles game before he got hurt, he was right on track. Uh, and it just seems like he's ready to break out and explode. And, you know, he's a 10 touchdown, you know, guy per season. Maybe he can get to that 10 touchdowns in these last six weeks here. I wouldn't put it past him. He's that type of player. And uh, he's certainly overdue for a couple touchdown catches. Uh, San Francisco would be a good time to get that, uh, that new streak of touchdown catches started. So we'll see what he can do. But he comes in at number five. Number four, really one of the the darlings of the season so far and one of the really great stories, Elton Jenkins with a plus 6.05. A rookie guard as the fourth best player on offense is just absolutely incredible, and he deserves every single amount of praise that he is getting so far. He is so fun to watch. I've talked about this on the radio this week, uh, both with Marcus Eversall on on 107.5 The Fan, as well as with John Papadopoulos and lacrosse. He's basically this really rare player where he is so good in a box and he's so physical. If you don't win as a defensive lineman with your first step, 
a lot of times for Elton Jenkins, that battle is over. He is too strong. He anchors too well. He gets his hands inside and that it's just done. You, you don't beat him at that point once he gets his hands on you and, and you've lost momentum. He's just too strong. And you see players like that throughout the league, but a lot of those players don't move really well in space. They're not zone blocking type of guys. They're not guys that can get to the linebacker on the second level or lead on a screen pass. Elton Jenkins is all of those things. I've seen him 40 yards downfield blocking on screen passes. You see him get to the second level in in uh, run blocking consistently. You can see him move really well in within the zone blocking scheme. So he is a total package at left guard. He is not far away from playing at a Pro Bowl level in his rookie season. That is not hyperbole. He is playing that well. Um, so kudos to him, and it has been a joy to watch him be inserted into that left guard position and play as well as he had uh, as he has. Uh, he is again coming in at number four on my list on the offensive side of the ball so far. Number three plays right to the right of him, and I don't think that that's necessarily a coincidence. Uh, Corey Lindsley, number three at plus seven point four five. He is the anchor for that offensive line. He gets all the calls in, of course, since he plays center. Uh, but he is the guy that kind of gets the, the ship moving in the right direction. He's got a great rapport with Aaron Rodgers, and he just does not get beat very often. You'll see a couple plays throughout the course of a game here or there, but uh, he's good in run blocking. He's good in pass blocking. does all the things that he's supposed to. Uh, rarely will you see an errant snap. Uh, just a really solid season. And I don't think that Corey Lindsley really gets the credit that he deserves. Uh, he has been on this list consistently through through th- three seasons now that I've been grading. And uh, he deserves a lot more credit than he gets. Uh, even still, he's at number three on my list so far this season. So he continues to do a hell of a job in the center of that offensive line. Number two is Aaron Jones at plus 10.45. Had the one really bad game uh, with the the drop touchdown and and just was not himself at all uh, in that game. But the rest of the season, he has been his normal self. I've talked about this before, but you talk about uh, you know him getting the team back on track after losses in the two games following losses. 200 yards rushing, 75 yards receiving, and seven touchdowns in those two games. Uh, They basically have made him the focal point of the offense uh, after losses to make sure that they get back on track. And when Aaron Jones is going well, the offense just goes well. Everything kind of follows suit. You can get work play action after it. And he does well even in stacked boxes. He finds the smallest of creases and he just continues to improve year in and year out to the point where he is now that complete back he is a Pro Bowl player. I don't buy the MVP talk. I'm sorry. He's he's not even set to outrush uh, uh, Lamar Jackson, to be fair, at this point. Uh, so I think he he's not in the, the top of the MVP discussion, at least. I don't mind him being in the discussion, but uh, he has about zero chance of actually winning that, that debate. Uh, but it doesn't matter. He's playing great. He's having the best season of his career, and uh, he deserves all the accolades that he's getting so far because he is playing at a massively high level. And number one, uh, to no surprise, at least uh, the, the one left standing is Aaron uh, Aaron Rodgers. Excuse me, plus fourteen point five on the season, and you know quarterback and especially Aaron Rodgers is an interesting position to grade. Uh, you look at uh, you know the swings that you're going to get from the quarterback position. You know, of course, they have a little bit more opportunity to make big plays. They also have a lot of opportunity to make some really bad plays. And the thing that uh, you know, Aaron Aaron Rodgers continues to get graded so well 
because of is the fact that he just doesn't turn the ball over with any regularity. And that makes it so that he doesn't get a lot of negative grades. And even in in games where maybe he's struggling a little bit, uh, it's not a, a massively negative graded game because he's not turning the ball over. So you don't see a lot of those negatives. And uh, again, there, there's a lot of opportunity to get positive points as a quarterback. But if you're not turning the ball over and getting a lot of those ne- you know, really big negative grades, you're going to end well in the positive. So I don't think that he is uh, you know, consistently played week in and week out uh, as one of the, the, the uh, you know, highest you know, or best seasons of his career, things like that. We've seen a couple games like that unquestionably, uh, but... Uh, I don't think that uh, the last couple games he's necessarily been on his A game, but that doesn't take away from the season that he's having. He's still one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Uh, he's probably only a couple, you know, monster games, you know, really from getting back in that MVP discussion where he was a couple weeks ago um, and, and still one of the best players in the league and certainly uh, my highest rated Packer on offense and, and really on the team as a whole through the season so far. Uh, for the bottom three on offense, uh, the the third lowest is Alex Light, negative one point six five. Really, he's only seen the field a, a couple times. He struggled the first time he got in. I think that was in the Eagles game. Um, he had another opportunity. I think I'm going to draw a blank. I think it was in the Chiefs game, but I could be wrong. Where he got in in that game and uh, played much better. Uh, and, and it's really not a, a brutal grade, especially at offensive line. Uh, negative one point six five. But he's my third lowest rated player. Uh, Jimmy Graham at number two, negative 2.15, and then Geronimo Allison at one, negative 5.10. And I want to point out here that there's really only two negative grades uh, on this list. Again, anything less than negative 2.5 is closer almost to the the neutral than it is to the to, to the being a negative or really bad player. Uh, you know, so I, the the concerns of Jimmy Graham, Alex Light, Dean Lowry, Darnell Savage, those type of players. I don't think it's anything major at this point. Jimmy Graham necessarily, you know, not uh, leading up to expect or living up to expectations. Um, you know, Darnell Savage hasn't been the same since coming back from injury. I'll go over that in just a moment as well. Um, but o- overall, it's just Geronimo Allison at negative 5.1 and Blake Martinez at negative 4.35 uh, that are really struggling at this point. And Blake has the, the injury on his arm. Geronimo has battled some injuries as well. So uh, those are the two at the moment. But the, the thing that I want to note here is at this point a season ago, I had six players graded negative five or below. Reggie Gilbert, Justin McCray, HaHa Clinton-Dix, Clay Matthews, Nick Perry, and Byron Bell. And it, this year, it's just Geronimo Allison. And I think that's really one of the strengths of this team is that there isn't just that, that guy that's just ruining the game for you. Byron Bell... Um, and, you know, it's not like I'm trying to, you know, rag on a player here, but Byron Bell was really that player for Green Bay a season ago where he, he legitimately w- was losing games for Green Bay at right guard. And I think it played a huge part in Aaron Rodgers dropping his eyes a lot and, and keeping his eye on the offensive line rather than downfield. Uh, it was just a really tough season for Byron Bell. It, it's not a surprise that he's no longer in the league this season after what uh, he put on tape a season ago. You had a player like that that was legitimately losing you games. You don't have that this year. And again, there were six guys last year that had some really poor grades and only Geronimo this year who should really be your number three, number four, number five-ish receiver probably 
if everyone else is, is rotating in and, and he probably gets what, 20, 30 snaps in an ideal scenario. So um, it's not the end of the world. And, and I think that's really one of the strengths of this football team is that they don't have anyone that's playing at such a low level that it's consistently costing the team games. You have players that are having bad games, you know, uh, here and there. That's going to happen to every team across the league. But you don't want to see those consistent players who are playing bad every single week. And I think that's been one of the real... Uh, benefits of this Packers team and why they've been able to be so good at eight and two is because they haven't had those consistent players who are performing poorly every week and just making it harder on everyone else around them. So I think that's one of the really big takeaways from the grades so far. If you look at the the top three overall, it would go Rodgers one, Zadarius two, and Aaron Jones three. And then the bottom three overall, uh, Allison's the lowest, then Blake, and then Darnell Savage at number three. Uh, Savage started gangbusters through the first three weeks of the season and has really kind of struggled since then. Um, And that really probably segues me into some players that are trending up and some players that are trending down. Uh, the three players that I have trending up over the course of the last five weeks, how I determined this was I took a look at the first five weeks and and scored them out through the first five weeks and then took the last five weeks and scored them out through the last five weeks and saw who had the biggest difference, you know, both in the plus and in the minus. And the biggest difference was Elton Jenkins. Now, he didn't start the first couple weeks and, and I don't think played until either week two or three and then got to start week three or four. Uh, but uh, he's been uh, the biggest increase uh, on either side of the ball uh, with a plus 4.05 increase in his play from weeks one through five through week six through 10. He continues to get better week in and week out. Zadarius Smith, uh, it was my number two. He graded well in the first five weeks, plus 3.3, but in the last five weeks has a ridiculous plus 7.2 grade, uh, grading almost as a plus 1.0 or 1.3-ish better on average, uh, actually better than that. I'm not doing the math in my head right now, but uh, you know he's been fantastic through the course of the last five weeks. So he comes in at number two. And then Alan Lazard, number three, again, he didn't uh, really start getting playing time, but the first five weeks he was at negative 0.65 and the last five weeks he was at plus 3.05. So he was my third biggest uh, difference over the course of that time frame. Players who are trending down, the biggest one is Blake Martinez. Uh, He was a plus 1.0 over the first five weeks and a negative 5.35 over the course of the last five weeks. So a negative 6.35 difference during that time frame. So that has uh, been the the biggest issue or the, the biggest trend in the wrong direction is Blake Martinez. Uh, Darnell Savage, we talked about plus 1.3 over the course of the first five weeks, negative 3.5 over the course of the last really three weeks because he had the two weeks he was out, uh, but a difference of negative 4.8. So uh, his play since coming back from injury has not been the same. Um, He's being a little bit too over aggressive, still learning the position. He's still very, very young. He does everything at a million miles per hour, which is kind of nice to see, you know, certainly coming from uh, some safety play that's been a little bit passive over the years, but uh, he still has to learn when to throttle it down, when to kind of play a little bit more under control. And then Jair Alexander, 
Uh, Start of the season gangbusters, plus 4.6 over the first five weeks. Still in the positive over the last five, but plus 0.3 only, basically a neutral player over the course of the last five weeks. So you went for, from a player who is, you know, kind of playing at a, a pro bowl, all pro type level to a player who's just kind of been okay through the five weeks. And a big part of that was that Cowboys game, but uh, he, uh, he, he has the ability to play better. And I think he'd probably be the first person to tell you that. So he comes in at number three at, uh, of players who are maybe trending a little bit in the, the wrong direction. The other thing I wanted to take a look at is some of the differences in scores overall from 2018 to 2019, and these were the ones that really blew my mind. You take a look at safety in 2018 through 10 weeks. The safeties in in the 2018 season through 10 weeks scored as a negative 11.35, this year plus 4.0, so a difference of 15.35 points, a huge swing in the positive direction for the safeties, going from Kentrell Bryce, HaHa Clinton Dix, uh, Jermaine Whitehead, etc., onto Darnell Savage uh, and Adrian Amos, uh, you know, Abraham Campbell, Raven Green, etc., etc. So a really big increase there. The next biggest increase was at guard, plus 17.7 differential between last year and this year. At this point last year, they were at negative 11.1. That's Lane Taylor, Justin McCray, and Byron Bell. Uh, This year, they're at plus 6.6 between Billy Turner and uh, Lane Taylor for a couple games, as well as Elton Jenkins. So a 17.7 increase, and then edge rusher negative 19.5 a season ago at this point, plus 18.05 as uh, we are at this point this season, a plus 37.55 difference. I can't even explain to you how huge that that difference is. It is a completely, you know, uh, really team changing uh, position from going from Clay and Perry and Gilbert and Fackrell a season ago to Zadarius and Preston and Gary and Fackrell this season. It has been a night and day difference. And really to me, the biggest reason that they have gone from a, uh, a team that fired their head coach and Mike McCarthy in a losing season and picking in the top 12 of the draft uh, to being on the precipice of the NFL playoffs and uh, potentially having uh, you know a bye as they go into the playoffs. Still a lot of time left, but they're really trending in the right direction and hopefully that comes to fruition. But uh, kudos again, uh, I can't say it enough to Brian Gutekunst. You look at those three you know, positions specifically, safety, guard, and edge. They attacked those positions aggressively, getting new players in and really changing the, the, the course of this franchise. At safety, bringing in Adrian Amos in free agency, drafting Darnell Savage in the first round and moving up to get him. At guard, drafting Elton Jenkins in the second round, bringing in Billy Turner. And at edge, bringing in Preston Smith, Zadarius Smith in free agency, and then picking Rashawn Gary in the, you know, with their first pick in the draft, number 12 overall. So they went out and they aggressively remade those positions to make sure that they were in a position to succeed. They didn't have the players to succeed at those positions. Maybe they would have kept Tremont Williams at safety, uh, but it would have basically been Tremont Williams, Will Redmond, Raven Green uh, at safety going into this season. You know, guard would have been Lane Taylor and what, Lucas Patrick, probably. Um, And then at edge rusher, I mean, it it would have basically just been Kyler Fackrell and and whatever else that I guess they maybe would have done. I think it would technically have been like Kendall Donerson at the time. 
Uh, but they did not wait around. They didn't take bargain bin free agents. They didn't, you know, wait till the fourth or fifth round of the draft. They addressed those positions specifically. They attacked it. And that is the reason that this team is at eight and two and on the you know precipice of a winning season and hopefully going into the playoffs. It's their ability to aggressively attack those positions and then actually hit on them as well. Uh, that's, that's the biggest differentiator. And I mean, again, edge plus 37.55, just a massive turnaround in one season. You just, you don't see teams completely turn around a position group like that. And like Green Bay did this off season, just really an incredible change, uh, from, from one season to the next when all three of those positions, again, props to props to Brian Gutekunst and that entire staff for, uh, really hitting almost their entire offseason uh, out of the park and, and just really, again, changing the face of this franchise. Some other players of interest. Um, I know I get asked about these pay, uh, these players quite a bit. Uh, Rashawn Gary at a negative 0.2 overall. Probably not a surprise there. Basically a net neutral player, and this won't surprise you either. Struggled in, in uh, you know getting to the quarterback and pressuring the quarterback, uh, but really has done well as a run defender, and that's why he's really kind of been a neutral player so far. Doesn't play a ton of snaps. Now, when he's asked to set the edge and kind of do his job in, in run defense, he, he's been just fine. Uh, he, he's he's really lived up to expectations there. Uh, but as a as a pass rusher, not there quite yet. You see some some growth over the course of the season so far. He's been able to convert speed to power a little bit. He's using his hands a little bit better. You can just tell he's thinking um, and doesn't really have a natural uh, plan of attack, a natural path to the quarterback quite yet. Um, I think he's going to get there. I really do, uh, but it's going to take some time. And uh, you know, he's not there yet. But the, the the thing that you love to see two things: one, that he's still helping his team as a run defender, even while he's kind of getting that that pass rush move set down. And then two, that you are seeing some growth week to week, which I think is a positive sign as well. So a negative point two on the season so far for for Gary. But again, that's that's almost a, a neutral grade exactly. And he's kind of really teetered right between a negative and a positive almost all season long. Billy Turner plus 0.7. Uh, again, this won't surprise you either. He's really solid the majority of the game. Uh, a good blocker, both in the running game and in the passing game. Uh, but you have about two or three lapses here or there that uh, he, he usually gives up a pressure. You don't see it coming. Um, it's disappointing because it's you, you hate to see inconsistency. He has the ability to be to be really, really good, but this is who he is. And that's why he is kind of bounced around a little bit, but he's playing good football. He is a huge upgrade from Byron Bell and Justin McCray a season ago. He wins, he helps win you football games. And uh, the Green Bay would absolutely do this move in free agency over again if they could. No question about it. He has been exactly, exactly, exactly the player that they expected. And I will also say this, he usually has the best, most impressive block of the game. He has great strength and plays with great physicality. And really, when all is said and done, he usually ends up with one or two just depleting, you know, type blocks per game. Uh, so, kind of the the final book on Turner is, for the most part, he, he's a pretty good player. Couple mental lapses here or there that does, you know, truly cost the team. Uh, but again, he he's well worth the price that they paid him, and he's certainly a player that's helped them win football games this year. That kind of does it for me today, kind of breaking down my grades. I hope you enjoyed this. I know it was a little bit of a deep dive, but hopefully you kind of get a, a look into some of the players that I think are playing well, some that are playing uh, maybe not as great and have some opportunity for improvement. Uh, but a th- I think the thing that I really want to leave off with is just how few players are really playing at a, a, a lower level 
And even then, uh, again, if you want to talk about maybe Geronimo Allison, Blake Martinez, you're talking two guys and neither of them are, are playing, at, like, for example, Byron Bell, almost negative 10 at this point a season ago, uh, you know, Geronimo Allison, negative 5.1. So about half as bad as what Byron Bell was at this point a season ago. So you don't have that one guy that's playing at abysmal levels and you've got one or two guys that are really playing uh, below average, below expectations. Everyone else, at least near neutral enough where they still have enough games that they can get to that point uh, where they're still playing neutral level football, which is at minimum really where you would like to be at. But I think that's really the big takeaway is that this team has really strong depth, really good players, and you don't have that player that's really costing you games individually, which is, again, I think it all goes to show why this team is sitting at 8-2 and two and on the precipice of a winning season and hopefully making the playoffs. If you're interested in getting all my grades, make sure to go out to PackerReport.com and subscribe. You get a ton of great content, not only from the Packer Report crew, uh, Dusty Evely, Ross Uglum, Jake Morley, Mark Eckel. I'm forgetting probably about eight people, Jacob Westendorf, um, a tremendous crew that's bringing you a ton of great content. Uh, but you also get uh, content from the entire CBS Sports and 24-7 crew. So go out there and subscribe. Uh, it is well worth the price and you will not regret it, I promise you. And then again, you get all those grades throughout the entire course of the season, the off season, you can reflect back upon them. And, uh, you know, hopefully you stay subscribed and can get those grades again next year as well. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, please feel free to do so. You can follow us at Packaday Podcast. You can also find a link there to support the cause if you feel so inclined to do so. We always appreciate that. Uh, make sure to check out Ross and Jake tomorrow as they start getting you ramped up for the massive 49ers Packers game this weekend. That does it for me. As always, I appreciate your support. I'll be back next week to break down that Packers Sunday night football showdown with the 49ers. But until then, and as always, I leave you with Go Pack Go. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.